0: Happen, that we are following what God's formula for the church is, not just for the church, but for the home, for our marriage, and even our workplace, as we saw last week. Earlier this year, we did a series on 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and the Holy Spirit's role in the church and what the Holy Spirit desires to do within the church as he unites us and grows us closer to Christ so that we are empowered and able to grow others towards Christ. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit seeks to do above all things, is bring us to Christ. Know, and, and we talked about in this series, God's design for marriage. A marriage must be in one accord with the husband and wife operating in the same direction, the same passion, the same fierce goals. A home, a family should be in one accord. The workplace should be in one accord. And so if you have your Bibles today, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Because today we come to the church and we want to be a church that is, that is in one accord. From the bottom to the top, we must seek to honor God's design for his church. And so we start with the lowest rung on the ladder. We start with the pastor. It's possible there's nowhere better in all of Scripture to get an idea of what a pastor should look like or, or at least what the expectations of a pastor might be than the pastoral epistles which is First and Second Timothy and Titus. Uh, it is there where Paul really begins to build the foundation for what a pastor should be about. And uh, So this week and next, we're looking at leadership and servanthood within the church. And so for today, we look at the office of pastor. In the local church, the two offices that, church, that Scripture seems to have for us is the office of pastor and the office of deacon. And like I said, next week we'll we'll get into the deacons. If the board misses next week, they are fired, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the pastor didn't skip this one, so no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> kind of hard for me to do that. But So we read in 1 Timothy 4.16. Now, now, like I said, the whole pastoral epistles give us much and what to look for as pastors, but I tried to find one place that summarized the entire passion that Paul had for the for the role. And I believe it's here in verse 16 of chapter 4 of First Timothy. It reads, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. These were written, these words were written by the Apostle Paul to his disciple, his son in the faith, Timothy. And it was direction and how he was to lead the church at Ephesus. We've been looking in Ephesus, uh, the the book of Ephesians, the past few weeks. And so Timothy is pastoring. He's actually over all the churches in the city of Ephesus and that region. And so Paul's going to give him ways what to look for in a pastor, what to be about himself as he pastors them. And if we want to be a church that is in one accord and understanding what Paul says here, we understand God's formula for leadership and servanthood in the church, it it must begin with the pastor, as well as the congregation. God's formula for pastoral leadership and servanthood in the church, especially the role of the pastor, is very simple as it has been the previous few weeks, if you want to write this down. The church needs a pastor who is called and qualified, preaching with perseverance, all while leading disciples who depend on, on Christ. I'll say that again. The church needs a pastor who is called and qualified, preaching with perseverance, all while leading disciples who depend on Christ. Now, you might be sitting there saying, well, this is very self-serving of Pastor Jeff. Yes, it is. Absolutely. I don't shy away from that because it is serving to the church, and I'm a part of this church as your pastor. It's also very serving For the congregation. We have to understand what the role of the pastor is if we are to be the congregation and work together in leadership and servanthood. That's how this whole thing works. Just like last week, we saw master and slave are two sides of the same coin, or boss and worker, employee, how they are two sides of the same relationship coin, how husband and wife are two sides of the same marriage coin. So it is with leadership in the church and the congregation. So, we see this just like God designed marriage and ordained having children and an ordered man to work. He also created his church. Now, obviously if you have read your Bible at all, you know, in the old Testament, there was a temple and there were priests, right? All of those things. However, in the new Testament, Jesus says to Peter, Peter just confesses that he is the Christ. And so Jesus says, I say to you that you're Peter and upon this rock. Now, Catholics take this to mean upon Peter, he will build his church. But he's not saying that. If you look at the context, Jesus says, upon this rock, meaning this truth, that he is the Christ, he says, I will build my church. He will build his church. We're just the tools he uses to do it. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So if Jesus builds the church, and that is his goal, to build his church, then he gives us a design and how to operate his church, right? That would make sense. So if he builds it, he tells us how to run it. We believe that these orders, this this idea, was written not just for the global church, but for the local church. Even the church here in Lisbon, Faith Assembly of God, is a church that worships Christ, and so we look at how he wants us to run things. Now, looking at our church history many of you may not know this, but Lisbon Assembly of God is 97 years old. We're almost 100 years old. We were planted in 1925 by a guy named John G. Kreitz who'd come over from Cullum and wanted to plant a church in Lisbon. I'm sorry, not uh, Herman G. Johnson planted the church. But he only, as the the founding pastor, he only lasted about a year. John G. Kreitz came in The next year, and from 1925, the end of 1925, to 1939, he pastored here in Lisbon for 14 years. He is the longest-lasting pastor in the history of our church. And he was the second guy. Think about that. 14 years. It's a long time. That's almost three times the national average for an Assembly of God pastor to last in a church. So he did pretty good. The second longest lasting guy many of you know, he's my presbyter, Kevin Zahn. He pastored here from 1993 to 2002, nine years. Third longest guy, Ron, was a guy by the name of Mike Rose. He lasted here for seven years. And it's during Mike Rose's time here that there was a shift in the Lisbon Assembly of God Church. In fact, if you do the math, all the way back to 1925, to the, the two, 2022, we've had 35 pastors. That's too many, really. That's a lot. Uh, that actually comes to an average of the average life expectancy of a pastor in this church is 2.8 years. That's not counting the five, six months it takes to find a pastor, replace a pastor, things like that. That's crazy. But there was a shift under Mike Rose. Things begin to change under him. If you go back and look at the history between the 60s and 70s, there was a different guy every year at times. But when Mike took over, that shift began to change. Actually, we have had seven pastors since 1980, counting Mike. That brings our average to six years, which, like I said, that's closer to the national average for an Assembly of God pastor. Now, I will say, overall, I'm above average. I'm going on year four. So I'm doing okay, right? You might say, well, Pastor Jeff, What's your point? My point is we should want our pastors to stay longer, be here longer. And we're doing this whole series because we want to see God's formula as we seek a revival, not just in our town, but in our very lives. And the one thing that you will notice if you go back and look at the history of our church, the longer a pastor stays, the bigger the revival, the bigger the church seems to grow. The better it seems to do, the healthier it is. You know, look at the time Kevin Zahn was here. Look at the time Bill Hartman was here and and the last 40 years. We see that trend. And so I say all these things to say, I want to be here a long time. I feel like I am, I believe I am called to Lisbon. I know we talked about this Wednesday night and somebody said that uh, they hear pastors say that sort of thing and just dismiss it because it seems like a lot of pastors use rural ministry like stepping stones. I'm to tell you something about that. I hate that mentality. I've seen other pastors do that. I, I do not believe that is the case. I believe pastors are called to the rural towns and should be invested in those communities and invested in those people. I've said that since I was brought here, that I believe there is a purpose for rural ministry and, and small towns. So I don't look at Lisbon as a stepping stone. If God ever called me somewhere else, it would probably be an even smaller town. No matter how bad, my daughter pleads for a place with Burger King. Okay? It's just not going to happen. I don't believe that's where God's gifted me or called me. And I believe I'm here to retire as your pastor. And I'm only 40. So let's just move forward with that mentality as, a, as an entire church. Okay? So if nowhere else we want to see a revival, we want to see a revival in our marriages, which we've talked about. We want to see a revival in our homes. We've talked about that, and even in our workplaces. But if we really want to see the spark of revival that will change a community, we want to see that in the church. And so we have to follow God's formula. And that formula for leadership and servanthood, it begins with the church and their relationship to the pastor. And a pastor should be called and qualified, pastoring uh, sorry, preaching with perseverance, all while leading disciples who depend on Christ. And so the first thing I want to talk about is the idea of the being called and qualified. This is speaking specifically to what to expect or what to look for in a pastor. Paul tells Timothy, pay close attention to yourself. And why would he say that? So Timothy does not disqualify himself from the position he's in, first and foremost. A pastor, Robert Murray McShane, said this, the great Scottish preacher from the the 1800s. He said, the pastor's first goal is to his own personal holiness because we don't want to disqualify ourselves from the ministry, but also because the church needs a pastor. It's part of God's design for his, his local church. Now, to understand this more, we actually need to roll back a little bit and look at what Paul writes earlier about the qualifications of an overseer. This would be the local pastor that Timothy is going to be installing in the church, overseeing the local body of believers, it actually is the Greek word episkopos. And that's someone who oversees the church. Sometimes it's translated as bishop. For the record, please do not ever call me bishop. I might throw something at you. I don't, I'm not a bishop, okay? You can, call, you can call me pastor. You can call me Jeff. You can call me pastor Jeff. Don't call me late for dinner. Don't call me bishop. All right. The, the idea of the pastor or shepherd is very similar to an overseer or episkopos. It's someone who oversees the church. In fact, episcopus is a synonym in the Greek language for another word, presbyteros, which we translate as elder. The idea behind the wording is that just like how a husband watches over his wife, how a father watches over his children, and how a, a, a master or a boss would oversee the workplace, The pastor, the elder, the overseer oversees God's household and it is his workplace. Jesus himself is the perfect shepherd, the perfect overseer. Peter points this out. He says, 1 Peter 2.25, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. For the term pastor as shepherd, we really only see it used a few times in relation to the local church. We see it nowhere clearer than in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And here's why. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. You see, the church needs pastors. That's part of their role is to equip the church. I'm going to take a drink of this water. Now, some translators actually will... Will tell you, and I kind of agree with this, that the office of pastor and teacher are one and the same, that they are meant to overlap with one another. It comes from the rendering of the Greek in the sentence, but also from the qualifications of an overseer that Paul gives later, in which he says they are to be able to teach. Now, he doesn't use the word keruso, which is the word for preach. He uses didaskaton or didactaton, Greek, right? Uh, didacticon, and that means to teach. It's the word typically translated for teaching. I'm taking time to point this out because one of the main things we should expect from our pastor is good teaching. And that's not to say that the pastor is the only teacher or he's the only one qualified to teach or anything like that, but it is expected of the pastor to teach. Now, if it's expected of the pastor to teach, what does that tell us about the congregation? They're expected to learn. They're expected to listen, right? Hearing fewer and fewer amens as we go today. Man, I can tell you. That's one of the qualifications. So we'll go through 1 Timothy 3 briefly and, and look at that. But really, the first qualification we see in Scripture of a pastor is the calling 1 Timothy 3 1, it says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And for the record, I'm probably going to use a lot more scripture today than in most sermons because I want you to understand this isn't the opinion of Jeff, this is the word of God. Okay? a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. To clarify, it is not the decision one day to wake up like some do and say, gee, I want to be a mechanic. I think that sounds like a great job. Nobody in their right mind wakes up one day and says, oh, I want to be a pastor. That seems like such a great job. In fact, uh, I heard this story from a seminary professor one time who said this guy got saved in seminary. He was going to college to be a pastor. This happens at Trinity Bible College all the time, by the way. They go to college to be a pastor because they see these guys on TV and think that's the, that's the life. You gotta wear nice suits, drive nice cars, and I get to have that life. And they're not even saved. It's not a profession one just chooses. It's one that is chosen by, by God himself. We are called to be overseers. The disciples were called overseers. Timothy was called. Paul was called. In fact, as the Timothy's calling, Paul says, This command, I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. This was He's talking, these prophecies were confirmation of his calling. That this was a way that the church knew Timothy was set apart to be a pastor. Just like the Levitical priests were set aside to be priests and do the work of the temple so are pastors, missionaries, evangelists. They are called to their ministries. Hebrews 5 speaks to this. Hebrews 5.4, no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he's called by God, even as Aaron was. Now, in that context, Hebrews is specifically talking about the priesthood. But in the New Testament era, we would say the pastor is a reflection or an equivalent of that Old Testament priest, in a sense, as he oversees the local church. Now, When it comes to deciphering that calling, that it's more than just an urge to a position, like I said, there are those who feel called to lead in a church. That does not mean they should be the pastor. There are those who feel called to lecture. That does not mean they're called to preach. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the doctor, he said it best. He said, This is something that happens to you. It is God dealing with you and God acting upon you by His Spirit. It is something you become aware of rather than what you do. It is thrust upon you. It is presented to you and almost forced upon you constantly in this way. Another one of my professors said it a little simpler. He said, there are two calls you cannot ignore for very long. And the more you try, the messier it will be. The call of God and the call of nature. If you are called by God to ministry, you will be miserable doing anything else. If you are not called, you will be incredibly miserable trying to be a minister and force it upon yourself. Speaking only for myself here, and I, I will probably say this a few times today, I would not trade my worst day as your pastor for my best day in any other job I've ever had. I love being your pastor. And I, I've said that before, and I will say that again and again. Then Paul goes on in in, in 1 Timothy 3 and he gives the qualifications of a pastor and we need to break at least some of them down. He says, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now, when he says above reproach, it's often translated blameless, but it's literal meaning is he's not held in a criminal sense. That doesn't mean like if I have a speeding ticket, I can't be the pastor, right? It's are there criminal accusations? There are valid accusations of wrongdoing that can be made against such a person. And we all have sins, right? But there's no valid accusation of flagrant sin or lawbreaking that mars a person's life. He says the husband of one wife. Now, we are an egalitarian. It's called an egalitarian fellowship or denomination. In other words, we believe women can be pastors. We don't believe it's only for the role of men. Um, for those of you who know me, you know I don't really care if a pastor is a man or a woman. I just care if they're a good preacher, if they're good at their job. That's what we should really be looking at. The, the Greek is literally a one-woman man. In other words, what it's, what it's really talking about is not somebody's marital status. Have they been divorced? Are they remarried? That's not really what he's talking about. It's more about their sexual purity, their moral purity in relation to their spouse. Uh, obviously, we can understand why this is at the top of the list, right? The last few years alone, we've seen more and more pastors failing in that in that position, failing in that aspect of their ministry. Then he goes on, he says temperate, sometimes translated sober, and that means literally, it means wineless. But here also, it's, it's more metaphorical. Paul will address drunkenness in a second, but he says it, it's more the mindset of being watchful. Being vigilant, being clear headed. An elder must be able to think clearly and be aware of what's going on in the world around him and what's going on in the church around him. Then he says, be prudent or sober minded. This is somebody who's able to be self disciplined, somebody who's able to prioritize things in serious and special, uh, sorry, spiritual matters. He says they have to be respectable. That's sometimes translated good behavior, right? They have to have good behavior. They have to be someone who's orderly, someone who's not constantly in chaos, constantly changing their minds about every little thing. Their homes and their lives, at least for the most part, are places of order. Now, I have a three-year-old son, so please be gracious with that, right? I challenge anybody who has a small child to say, hey, I don't have any chaos in my home. It does happen, but is it a lifestyle aspect that we see? Finally, he says, be hospitable. It means being welcoming It's literally translated a lover of strangers we see this as a command for the whole church in hebrews 13 2 it says do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it but the pastor should model this for the church is that crackling is that that's all me isn't it Can i grab a different microphone i'll just, oh, we'll just roll with it okay the pastor should model this. And I've, said, I've said this before. This does not necessarily mean that after church, everybody can come over to the parsonage and you know crash at my place for a while, eat all my groceries. Please don't do that. Grocery prices keep getting higher and higher. But what it does mean is, as the pastor especially, I can't be afraid to sit down with people, to go have a cup of coffee, to have lunch, to sit in my office, talk about things. I have a welcoming personality. And I hope I do that. But a pastor's life must be open in a sense that people can see his spiritual character. And of course, we covered able to teach somewhat already. But like I said, if you are able to teach, there must be someone willing to learn. And if you're able to teach, that means you're someone who studies and knows the material well enough to explain it to others. Einstein once said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't know it well enough yourself. And I, I, I hope that you know, this is a place where the pastor teaches and, and it does well. And Paul goes on, he says, not, The pastor should not be addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Not a new convert so that he'll become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. I'm just going to change microphone. I'm sorry. That's a lot. Better? That's my other microphone. Now, there we go. Okay. All right. Less crackle, right? Sounds like a box of Rice Krispies up here. I don't know how you're hearing it. but Well, the idea the, the, to summarize all of that, the qualification is at a bare minimum, the pastor, the elder, the overseer is someone who is called to the office of pastor, elder, overseer, and of mature Christian character, someone who is consistent in their faith. Someone who holds to the doctrine of the church and teaches that doctrine to the church and refuting those who oppose that doctrine. Again, that's the bare minimum. There's nothing on this list, if you notice, there's nothing on this list that says he must know how to operate a microphone properly. Right? There's nothing on this list that says he has to be handsome. Well, I lucked out there. Right? Well-dressed. Well-put-together. Awesome beard, maybe. But the rest, I'm kind of, you know... it doesn't say any of that stuff. It doesn't say anything about making PowerPoints that look really good. But Paul's going to add to these qualifications as he writes further to Timothy and to Titus. For example, in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Someone asked me once, how do you preach with such confidence? It's because I believe I'm accurately handling the word of God. I have studied To show myself as one approved, I don't question what I preach. Now, I may say something wrong. I'm human. I make mistakes, right? I might misinterpret something wrong. Uh, I might get something wrong. But that doesn't mean I can't be confident in the overall message because I'm confident in Christ and I'm confident in His Word. So the pastor should be someone who strives to study, who seeks to preach the scriptures accurately. Paul goes on to say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2 to preach the Word, and we're going to get into that in the next section this morning. But before moving on, I want to draw your attention real quick to 1 Timothy 5.22. It should just be down the page of your Bible. It says, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Now many times, there are people who will come and they'll say, Well, I believe I should preach. I believe I have the skill set to do worship team, or this, or that. And Paul is saying very clearly, don't rush somebody into something. Take some time. Get to know their fruit. Matthew 7 talks quite a bit about learning people's fruits. That's how we know the the good from the false. Now, there's a story one missionary tells about his time in Peru. He had a little church down in Peru, and these three men come to him, and they say, you know, we would love to give a message to your church. We are all three prophets. And the guy says, hey, that's great. I, I think we could use a prophetic word. We'd love that. And they said, awesome. Well, we'll do it this Sunday. He said, no, 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 no. No, No, you're not. You're not doing it this Sunday. Can't do it this Sunday. Well, why not? He said, well, you've got to be here at least a year. He said, what do you mean? This this message is for your church now. And he said, but brothers, if you are truly prophets, you know the word of God says that I have to know you by your fruit. And I I just met you. So you're going to sit here and get plugged into our church and and join some of our Sunday school classes and and just attend so we can see the fruit of your life. And these men begin to get very angry. In fact, they cussed at him. They physically threatened him. And they were obviously asked to leave. Do you think they were really prophets? No, of course not. Just because someone says they are called, just because someone seems to have a gifting, it does not mean we should rush them into a position of ministry. In fact, even doing that, we are hurting them as much as we're hurting the church. We had a young man in our church not too long ago who had very great musical talent, and, and people were saying we should put him on the worship team. No, we should not. He's still a baby Christian. Let's let him put down roots. And he's contacted me recently. He said, Pastor Jeff, I am so thankful you didn't do that. That would have ruined me. I'm so glad you took time to walk through the word of God with me instead of putting a microphone in front of me. He said, I'd have to answer to God for all the stupid things I would have said. And so these are, this is the downfall of many ministers. They get rushed into something because they're a good speaker or because they studied a little bit. And so we want to rush them into something. But we can't do that. We have to follow God's formula for leadership and servanthood within the church. We have to understand that a pastor is called, and there must be evidence of his calling, and there has to be qualifications filled. But this takes us to the next step. This is what the pastor does. Their main task is preaching with perseverance. He goes on, Paul does, and says, "...and to your teaching, persevere in these things." Now, I'm going to back up just a second. He says, "...pay close attention to yourself." and to your teaching. What we teach and preach as pastors, it matters. Just like our character can disqualify us from ministry, so can what we preach and teach. When Paul writes to Titus, he says to him that there are those who profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. He says they're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound Doctrine. The preaching and the teaching from the office of the pastor has to be handled carefully. It has to be handled properly. It must be handled with care. I I have said this before. When we preach, we, we should preach with fear and trembling. Because we have to answer before a holy God someday for that. It cannot just be a rant. It cannot just be ramblings. It cannot just be something... One day you read a verse and now you want to just scream and holler about it. That's not what preaching is. Paul. It's one reason Paul says the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. I know there are those, and I've interacted with these guys since I was a kid. I grew up in the Bible Belt where everybody and their grandma is a preacher. And there, there are those who say, I just rely on the Holy Spirit, and that's fine, You have to rely on the Holy Spirit when you preach. It's an absolute must. I can't get up here and do this without the the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't speak and change a heart. That's only the work of the Holy Spirit. But if every time that's just an excuse to not study Scripture and not prepare a message, that's that's something that's going to quickly become ranting and rambling and raving. It's not going to be a sermon. And I don't want to oversell this but the reason so few people do these sorts of things is because it's hard work that's one reason the former head of the SBC got caught plagiarizing the guy before him because they want to copy and paste other people's work because the job is hard believe it or not I'm not a good golfer I don't work on my golf game six days a week right pastors shouldn't do that sort of thing we have to be in the word of God that's, this is why some pastors will ask for other pastors' notes and manuscripts and want to take that instead of research for themselves. And for the record, I'm not opposed to using someone else's outline, the skeleton, but you should put... And Pastor Calvin and I have had this conversation. It's okay to use someone else's outline, but you put fresh meat on those bones. right? It's for that congregation. These men who do this sort of thing, pastors who who want to rip off other pastors rather than preach for their own congregation, they're not teaching and preaching the people in front of them. They're they are stealing from someone else and just echoing something they've heard. These men are not leading their congregations. They're not shepherding their sheep. They're following other men. And Jesus addresses this with the Pharisees when he says, leave them alone, they're blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. The pastors who do this sort of thing, they they're not loving their people. They're seeking to honor God with their lips, but they can't be bothered to write a sermon from their own study and their own prayer. That's a problem. And one of my biggest pet peeves, Georgette got this this morning. She stopped by my office. One of my biggest pet peeves is lazy pastors who don't love their people enough to get on their face before God and say, what do I need to preach about this Sunday? Or what what series should I build now? Things like that. The main job of the pastor is to preach the word of God and preach what the church needs to hear. Not what makes him popular. Not what he thinks will make him popular anyway. And not what they want to hear. That's a big thing. That's a very important thing. Paul tells Timothy preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke exhort with great patience and instruction why does he say this because the time will come when they will when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths but you speaking to Timothy Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He says, fulfill your ministry, not someone else whose sermon you robbed online. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. If what pastors are teaching does not lead the congregation to Christ, if a pastor does not give the gospel to the church, if he doesn't seek to grow them to Christ, I I draw a hard line on that, I say he should resign. He needs to step down. He's not preaching. He's not teaching anything that a person could not get from the world. I saw a pastor in Chicago said he he felt so convicted because he'd given this message on seven steps to a, a pure marriage and it had nothing to do with Christ. He said, "What was I doing? What was I thinking?" The gospel is is so simple to speak. And say to people, but when you hear other, some preachers talk about it, you think it's the hardest message for us to get out. Because it's not popular. Because it's not easy for a person to hear it. Because when a person believes the gospel, the Holy Spirit begins to change their lives. That they have to repent and they have to change and become a new creation. Jesus says you have to be born again. Simply, Christ died to free us from our sin, taking our sins upon himself. He died, was buried, rose again on the third day. He was and is God in the fullness of God. and He laid down his life as a ransom for us. If you believe that, that changes you. And if I don't give that to you, there's a problem on this side of the podium. If you believe that, you don't want that old life. He died to free you from that. And if the pastor doesn't love you enough to give you the gospel, he's no pastor. Run. That's not a shepherd feeding the sheep. He's growing fat off the sheep. Ezekiel 34 talks about that. And if we want revival, if we truly want to see God move, it must begin in the pulpit and flow to the pew if we want it to change the world. If we want revival, we need to hold ourselves to the standard of leadership and servanthood that God has called us to. But Paul isn't done. He says persevere in these things. Why does he use the word persevere? Because it's hard. Ministry is not easy. Looking back in 1 Timothy 4, 10-11, it says, For it is for this we labor and we strive, because we fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers, prescribe and teach these things. Notice he says nothing about working on your golf game or sitting in your office watching Netflix. He goes on he says let no one look down on you for your youthfulness but rather in speech conduct love faith and purity show yourself an example to those who believe until i come give attention to the public public reading of scripture to exhortation and teaching do not neglect the spiritual gift within you that would be his calling which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. He says, persevere in these things. What are these things? Well, we fix our hope on Jesus, uh, on the living God, the Savior of all men. He says, prescribe and teach that. Prescribe and be about that. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. Church, I am 40. Okay, I know I'm 20 years younger than some of you, but look, if, if one more person comes to me and talks to me like I'm a child, I'm going to start talking to them like they're getting dementia. I think that's a fair trade. Oh, that was a joke. I'm sorry. That was, that was inappropriate. <laughs> you can throw a tomato at me later, but look, don't look down on the pastor because of his age. The pastor is not supposed to let anybody look down on him because of his age. But live as an example. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. You guys have heard me say this. If we don't have a time for preaching in the the service, it wasn't a church service. It it may have been a concert, but it wasn't a service. Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. Again, that's Timothy's calling. Romans 11.29 says, The calling and the gifts of God are irrevocable. He says, live in that always. The tense of the word that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 4.2 of preach the word, it's actually keruso, but the tense is San," and it means to always be preaching the word. Pastoring is a lifestyle. It's not just something you get up and do on Sundays. What we see in the qualifications, we see here again, being a pastor is not a job. He says, show yourself an example of those who believe. If I expect the congregation to be Christian when we run into each other on Main Street, you should expect the pastor to be a Christian when you run into him on Main Street. Amen? But Paul goes on. He says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. From there, the pastor should grow so that your your progress will be evident to all. Of all the people in the church, the pastor also has to be growing spiritually. I cannot be shocked if a church that I pastor is stagnant when my faith is stagnant, when my Bible study, when my prayer life is ho-hum and business as usual. I can't be shocked if the church follows suit because I'm to be the example for the congregation. Peter speaks to this as well. He instructs the the elders of the church this way. He says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock." And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. I'm going to summarize that. He says, shepherd the flock. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because you want to. Because you actually love the people. Don't do it to get wealthy. Don't do it to lord it over somebody. But most of all, you do it to glorify Christ. The pastor is above all. He is to shepherd the flock. To protect them. To watch over them. To tend them. To love them enough to give them the word of God. Paul instructs the, the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts 20, verse 28. says, Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. If a pastor does not guard the sheep, if a pastor does not take it upon himself, the position of watchman, poison, easily infects the body of believers. Jude speaks to this. Jude 4 says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They creep in unnoticed because the pastor is not spotting them or he's not pointing them out. That's what pastor means, by the way. I haven't said this yet, but in Greek the word is poimenos, and it means shepherd. Shepherd. You see, wolves creep into the flock when the shepherd's asleep at his post. It's so like I say, I don't like lazy pastors. I know that it, it can't be all that a pastor does. I understand that. But the pastor must do it if he is to fulfill his calling. And I've said this recently. I have to be able to pastor in such a way that one day when I stand before a holy God, he won't be disappointed in me. It's one reason, James says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Jesus warns this very thing. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone hung around his neck and he'd be cast into the sea. Someday I will stand before the Lord for the way I've pastored in Lisbon. And I have to be able to stand there and hopefully, hopefully, with all that I've done and all that I've tried to do, I will not hear something like, Why did you not fulfill the call I placed on your life? Why did you not warn them? Why would you not stand for me before all men? That's what Jesus says. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Hear me on this, please. If a pastor cannot stand for truth now, when life is relatively easy, And church, I believe, and I think many of you would agree, we are living in the last days. And if a pastor cannot stand before the church and give them the truth when times are easy, how can he do that during a time of depression or when they're lining us up and putting us into camps or worse than that? And how dare such a man expect more of his people than he expected of himself? It's the very thing Ezekiel talks about. If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, then the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them. He's taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now, if you don't listen, Ezekiel goes on about that. He says, Your blood's on your own hand, on your own head, if you didn't listen. But the pastor has to do his job. The pastor has to blow the trumpet of the watchman. That's the way God's designed it. And I'll say this and I'll move on. If Jesus is the good shepherd, and he calls himself that in John 10, 11, and he's actually quoting Ezekiel 34, then Jesus himself models the way a shepherd should love his flock. The pastor should protect the flock and be willing to lay down even his life if that's what it takes for his people. I love the movie The Patriot. Maybe If you've never seen that movie, it's worth watching. But there's this scene where they go to recruit people in the local church and the pastor ends up coming with them to join the Revolutionary War. And they're all shocked because he's such a pacifist. He says, no, there's a time for the, for the shepherd to feed the flock, but there's also a time to protect, protect them from the wolves. It's one of my favorite lines in the movie, and I just butchered it. But it's a powerful, powerful line, and I believe that. That's why a pastor must preach with perseverance. That's preaching without fear of man, but with compassion for the men and women in his congregation. But then what's the other side of that coin, right? As the wife is the other side of the coin of the husband and marriage and, and children and parents are on two sides of the same relationship coin. And masters and slaves are two sides of the same coin. What about the other side for the pastor and for the deacons? And again, we'll get to the deacons next week. That's the leading disciples who depend on Christ. He says this, Paul continues in verse 16. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. I want you to understand something this morning. A good pastor wants to lead his people into a dependency upon Christ and Christ alone. A bad pastor, you might call him a false teacher, false prophet, whatever, whatever we want to call them, they will set a false expectation that only they can reach so the people become dependent upon them. I'll say it again. A good pastor wants people to depend on Christ. A bad pastor wants people to depend on him. You know, it's easy to say, buy my book and this will give you the solution to all your problems. Buy my book and I'll teach you the secrets to unlock this or that. But it's a totally different thing. and It's a much harder thing to say, let's study the scripture and see what God's word says for itself. One reason I strive to, to preach expository sermons filled with scripture is to model Bible study for the congregation. See how the word harmonizes. See how the word works together. See how God speaks and implement that into your life. I've had people say, Pastor, I like how you you make it easy to understand. You understand, that's the spirit of preaching. Nehemiah 8.8 says, they read from the Word, they explained the Word, so the people understood the Word and did the Word. That's the relationship right there in preaching. That's what a pastor should do. And in our main verse, Paul is saying that being faithful in the role ensures salvation. The very thing I just mentioned, there is no millstone waiting for a faithful pastor or preacher. But here's the good part both for yourself and for those who hear you. That's what he says. The preaching and teaching of the pastor is discipleship for the congregation. It is for those who hear him. What's a congregation's role in the pastor's ministry and the leadership and servanthood between the role of pastor and the role of the church? It's to do what he says unflinchingly, right? No, absolutely not. Please do not do that. That makes the pastor no different than a dictator or a tyrant. Remember what I've said, and I've said this in every message in in this series. Submission does not mean following blindly or unquestioningly. It doesn't mean being a doormat or a robot to give orders to. It means allowing and aiding the leader to do what God has put them in their role to do. So how does the congregation do that? Well, the first thing the congregation should do is listen. Not because it's the pastor's will, but it's because that's what the Word of God says. Come to church expecting to hear God speak through His Word, not mine. First Peter says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. You see, there is a weight to every message that's preached. There's also a weight for every message that's heard. The congregation will also have to stand before God someday. And he'll say, why didn't you listen to the pastor? Or, hey, you get a pass. Your pastor was bad at his job. Second, it's, it's be teachable. You know, I have to remain teachable. I don't have all the answers. I'm constantly trying to learn. Pastor Calvin and I have been talking about building sermons. And there have been times where I've, I've written out two or three paragraphs and come across something. And, man, I got that wrong. You know, you've got to be teachable. So do the people, to learn, to get better, to understand. Don't get your itching ears scratched. Come to church craving a challenge. Let the word of God move you. Let the word of God push you and grow you. James 1.21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Don't just hear it and don't just accept it. This is the third thing. Test it. This is why we have sermon notes in the bulletin. Why we have so much, so many uh, things available for Bible study. Test what's being preached. Ask questions after the service. You know, if you think about it through the week, send me an email. I'm happy to send you back four or five pages explaining everything. Ask Dale. I always try to explain with a thorough answer. But be a Berean Christian. The Bereans, if you remember Acts 17, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Thessalonica heard what Paul was preaching and ran with it. But history reminds reminds us the Bereans were more noble-minded because they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Church, if the apostles were not above being questioned, I'm not. Take the message home. Watch it again on YouTube or Facebook throughout the week. Listen to the podcast. Dive, dive into it. Pastor Jeff, you said this. I want you to explain this a little more. Chances are, I'm excited to do that, by the way. I like doing that. And if what I'm giving you is good, if it's, if it's feeding you, if it's nourishment for your soul, do something with it. Psalm 95 says today, if you would hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. But as Jesus said consistently, He who has ears, let him hear. He's meaning, don't just hear it, but act on it. Luke 8.18, it says, Take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. What Jesus is saying is that we're going to be held accountable for how we learned, how we listened, and how we were taught. And if we know it's true, and if we've tested it and understood it to be true, that it must take root in our our hearts, whether we like it or not. This is actually worship, by the way. This is where real worship happens, where God's end of worship takes place. The music is good. Don't get me wrong. Patty, please don't quit. (laughs) The praise and worship time is wonderful. But when the Word of God penetrates our hearts, when we study it, when it begins to take root, that's when real worship begins to happen. Because God is speaking to us as we're praying to Him, as we're worshiping Him. From the root, excuse me, from the roots spring forth the fruit of the Spirit that are evidence of our relationship with Christ. When we sing, when we, when we praise, that's good. But when God speaks and we listen, that's the relationship circle completed. Two more things, then I'll move to close. And I'll likely reference this passage next week as well. But Hebrews 13:17 and then in Jude 16 it says obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account let them do this with joy not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you Jude 16 says this these are grumblers finding fault following after their own lust they speak arrogantly flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage so i say those two two verses together for a purpose we are a growing church and there are going to be growing pains Sometimes that leads to negative attitudes, it leads to put-downs, and in some cases even digs and backstabbing and gossip. Sometimes that's intentional, sometimes it's not. But we should have no part in that. We should not humor those things. If you have a legitimate complaint or a problem, please come and talk to me. Talk to a board member. Grumbling and complaining is not good for the church. In fact, Philippians talks about this as well. It's not good for the individual. Grumbling and gossip is poison to the body of Christ. John speaks in Third John of a man named Diotrephes. If you've ever heard me talk about him, I always refer to him as the sneaking deacon. Because John says he doesn't. he loves to be first. He does not accept what we say. He undermines the apostles every chance he gets. Don't undermine. Investigate. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to the board. If you can't talk to me because you think I might blow up and get really mad, I've got a problem. But grab a board member if that's the case. Now, it may sound harsh. That may sound like pastors getting defensive or something like that. No, I'm not. I want to be very clear, okay? I say those things in case of, you know, in case of emergency, break glass, right? In case of emergency, do this sort of thing. In case that thing pops up. But I want to be very clear. This church has been a very big blessing to my family and myself. There have been some of those growing pains, but I will reiterate one more time. There's nowhere else I would love to pastor, I would not trade my worst day here as your pastor for my best day anywhere else. And I hope you understand that. The last thing, very last thing, is simply this. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the deacon board. Like I said, we'll get to them next week, but I desperately always need your prayers. Paul consistently asks for prayer to the churches he writes to. Ephesians 6.19, he says, pray on my behalf. To the, to the Thessalonians, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, simply, brethren, pray for us. So as your pastor, I'm asking you, please keep me in prayer. We are in this together uh, as we become more and more dependent on Christ and, and attempt to grow his kingdom in this region. So growing in him together. I'm going to move to wrap this up. I'm going to ask the worship team to go on and, and come back up. But as the pastor, I'm called to lead. I'm also called to serve. And I... If you have a need, if you have something going on, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you this morning. If there's a need for healing and just something going on in your life you'd like prayer for, I'm going to be up here at the front. And those who are on the board, I would ask them to join me to to pray. But next week we'll dive more into the the deacon board and things like that. But uh, this morning, as we close, we're going to sing. I want to ask you to worship together. If you have a need or something that you'd like prayer for by all means come forward and we'll we'll ask actually Patty, would you close us in prayer at the end Thank you. You need my mic to be able to do that.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you for your word Lord. we thank you for your faithfulness to us Lord. We thank we're thankful Lord that you've placed the role of pastors in our churches. And this morning, we pray a blessing over our pastor. Lord, continue to pour your word into his heart and mind and that your Holy Spirit would continue to reveal your perfect will in his life, in his family, and over our church family. And we pray for the pastors of our area. We pray for the pastors of our church uh, churches in this state, in our nation, Lord. At this time, more than ever before, Father God, we need your Holy Spirit's guidance in our nation, in our state, in our community, in our church. We thank you, Holy God, that your Holy Spirit is not, not challenged by this, not challenged at all, but that you and your Holy Spirit and our precious Savior are more than able, more than able to guide and direct and lead as we submit ourselves to you in your perfect will. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are. In your precious name, amen.